Hello, Molo, Sawbona, Jumbo, and welcome to Every Nation Durban. We are part of a global family of churches with the purpose to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. You can find us in big cities like London, New York, Paris and Joburg. You can also find us in nations like Bangladesh, Botswana, China and even Hawaii. In Durban, we have a local vision of being a healthy church that starts other healthy churches. Our mission is reach, disciple, impact. We want to reach every person, every campus, and every nation. Join this mission to honor God and advance His kingdom. Good morning, every nation, Durban, and Merry Christmas to you all. We are here in Cape Town on the slopes of Table Mountain. There's the mountain behind us. And we're about to climb the mountain and uh, and do a preach at the same time. <laughs> but look at this beautiful city with the mist rolling in behind us there. Um, yeah, just to say, guys, we uh, we know it's Christmas Day, and this has been a year unlike any other. And um, I know for many of you, it's probably been a tough year. And um, and you've had some mountains to climb this year, and um, and yeah, and I know for a lot of you this might not be a very merry Christmas. That this maybe is a difficult one with uh, maybe the first one without mom or the first one without dad, or you know maybe you weren't able to get home. Or I know some of you might even be watching this in hospital, and so we just want you to know our thoughts are with you, our prayers are with you. And uh, we just want to remind you that we serve a God that moves mountains. <laughs> the Bible says that the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. And Jesus said, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And so as we journey up this mountain, we're going to be sharing a word with you entitled The Shepherd King. Talking about our King Jesus. He's our Shepherd King. And... Um, and yeah, and first we're going to get into... I just wanted to say Merry, Merry Christmas to you. No matter what your Christmas is looking like, if you are centered in Jesus, He will make it a merry one. That's right. He will bring you comfort. He'll bring you joy. He will just settle anything that's going on in your heart. And even if it is a very Merry Christmas, you don't have to feel guilty about having a good time <laughs> with your friends and family sure. or wherever you are. But yeah. remember to pray for others and remember to yeah. just be generous with your encouragement and with whatever you've got in your hand this Christmas yeah. and um, and if, if you feeling like Christmas is a bit like a bit foggy like the background here and you feel like maybe you're at the bottom of a mountain and you're looking up and it, and it looks really overwhelming we just hope that as we continue our journey up this mountain you'll be inspired that as you put one foot in front of the next and you yeah. keep your eyes on Jesus you're gonna climb the mountain you're gonna get to the summit and you're gonna know that he's with you always we're up the mountain on our, on our journey and it's time to get into the Word of God so uh, we're gonna we've chosen a passage from Luke chapter 2 and verse 4 to 20 so if you have a Bible you can go there Luke chapter 2 and we're gonna read from verse 4 to 20 and it's it's the Christmas story passage that we're gonna be looking at and the, the title of this word is the Shepherd King which if you think about it for a moment is a bit of a 
a, a contradictory statement. You know, shepherds are not kings and kings are not shepherds. Shepherds are lowly people, humble people. They, they're in the fields with their sheep. They're in touch with their flocks. They, they're getting their hands dirty every day, protecting their sheep. They're, they're on the ground working hard. Kings, when we think about kings, kings are in high lofty places. They sit on thrones and other people serve them and they make judgments. Very, very contradictory terms to put together. But when we look at Jesus, we see that he is a shepherd king. He's a king who rules. Make no mistake about that. He rules over everything. Yet he's the, the, a shepherd king, so he comes down to our level. He comes down and he knows us by name. And he protects us and he feeds us and he leads us and he guides us. All those beautiful things that we read in Psalm 23. This is our shepherd king. So let's read the word together, but let's pray before we get into the word. Let's pray our prayer before we get into the word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. I treasure your word more than my daily bread. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Let's get into the word. Right, we're reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 20. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Praise be to God for his word, guys. Okay, so here we are on top of the mountain with 
the beautiful city of Cape Town behind me. We made it to the top. It was a couple hours, but it was absolutely amazing. Incredible hike. I just want to pick up on that passage of scripture that we were looking at. And the two towns that are mentioned in that passage are Bethlehem and Nazareth. And God chose Bethlehem and Nazareth as the places where Jesus was born and where he would be raised. And when you think about that, and the fact that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Son of God, it seems absolutely preposterous that God would choose such humble places like Bethlehem and Nazareth as the place for Jesus to grow up. I mean, Nathaniel even said later on in scripture that can anything good come from Nazareth? Bethlehem was like a one-horse town. They're rural places. They're, they're not places of significance. They're not places of power. They're not places of influence. Yet those are the two places that God chooses for his son to be raised, which is absolutely incredible. Not only that, we have Mary and Joseph. And... Um, if Mary and Joseph were teenagers when Mary fell pregnant uh, with Jesus and, and they had to steward this entire moment together as by themselves as two teenagers they had to rush back to Bethlehem for the census to make the census they get there there's, there's no place for them there's no inn there's no nothing and she is heavily pregnant and she has to give birth in this probably a barn or a cave, not even a room, and there's no midwife present, there's no gynecologist present. This was probably Joseph who had to even deliver the baby in in a barn with animals around them. I mean, not a hygienic place, not a place that's sterile. And 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 when we we look at that, and you, uh, the, and and the fact that Mary and Joseph were both poor, um, we know that they were poor because. Later, eight days later, when they had to de- take Jesus to the to the temple to be dedicated, it says in Leviticus that for the firstborn son you are supposed to bring a lamb to for as an offering. But if you can't afford a lamb, you are allowed to bring a turtle dove, because turtle doves were just so common um, in those days, kind of like our pigeons around our church building. <laughs> They're just like you know thousands of them everywhere, and. And so what offering does Mary and Joseph bring? They, they bring turtle doves. Um, so this is not an influential family. These are two poor teenagers trying, struggling to make it on their own. And, and they're arriving to this town that's totally booked out. And they give birth to the baby, son of God, in a ma- and, and Mary puts him in a manger. I mean, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. I mean, that's where... where pigs and horses and donkeys stick their heads in and eat that was the place where the son of god was laid and um and all of this you know sometimes when we read the christmas story we can just like browse over it oh yeah he was born in a manger and we and we have these beautiful nativity sets of you know mary joseph a couple you know animals around them and and this beautiful little wooden trough and baby Jesus right lying in it like a cradle <laughs> but but it was anything but that it was it was probably smelly it was probably damp um, you know it there was nothing glamorous about it and, and and what we read from scripture is that none of this was a mistake either this was exactly how God wanted it to work because when the angels announced to the shepherds 
hey, the Son of God has been born, the Messiah has been born, they tell them, you can find him in a manger. And he's, uh, and you'll go, that's where you'll go and see him. There'll be a baby in a manger. And they see, they seem quite excited about that. I mean, they're singing songs and there's this choir going on and they're, they're like, you know, go find him there. Uh, which, you know, is, is crazy because if, you know, the, Gabriel wasn't talking to the other angels and going, hey guys, who forgot to book an inn? Who forgot to get the room sorted out? You know, who forgot to call the gynecologist? No, they're like, they, they, they knew he was in a manger. They were excited about that. All of it is planned by God. All of this is planned and all of this is communicating something to us about the humility of Jesus and how he's humbled himself and taken the lowest place on earth. And this wasn't just his birth story. This was the entire life story of Christ. Um, you know, all the way through Jesus' life, one word is coming through the whole time. He's, he grows up in Nazareth. He he possibly lost his father Joseph at a, at a young age and was raised by a single parent. Um, he was exposed to, to hunger. He was exposed to pain, to suffering. When they try to make him a king, he would, he would hide away. Um, uh, when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he rode on a donkey. Kings ride on horses, but he chose a donkey. Uh, so this, there's this message coming at us of how, and it's intentional. It's, it's God is trying to communicate something to us. And we have to ask the question, why Nazareth? Why Bethlehem? Why Mary and Joseph? Why a baby in a manger? I mean, he could have come as the, as the angel of the Lord, as we see him in the Old Testament. He could have arrived with angels and splendor and majesty and power and wowed us and arrived in Rome or Jerusalem or to a wealthy, influential family. But no, all the lowest, lowest places and lowest people is where we find the Messiah coming to us. So why so lowly and why so humble? It does seem extreme. It does seem next level extreme, actually. I believe there's three reasons why, and I want to share with you those. The first one is, I believe he did it to identify with us. I believe he chose deliberately the whole time the lowest places and the most humble circumstances because he wanted to identify with humanity in every way. There was no privilege to what Jesus had on this earth. He knows poverty. He knows what it means to be raised by a single parent. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows rejection. He knows what it's like to grow up on the wrong side of the tracks, uh, the wrong neighborhood. He, he was never given any preferential uh, treatment because of his divinity. But he, he chose to, to take the lowest places so that he could fully experience what most of the world experiences today, what most people in the world experience. I mean, most of the world doesn't have a comfortable life. Most of this world, people are living in poverty and living in pain and, and the daily grind of you know, struggling to make it through life. And, and so by, just by taking all of our humanity upon himself, He's able to identify with us completely. I mean, we have a God who didn't stay in heaven and go, oh, shame, it does look bad. He came down and he tasted how bad it can be. He tasted every part he suffered. He went through spiritual attack, spiritual warfare. He went through temptation like we go through temptation. He went through everything so that 
we could have a high priest so that we could have a God who fully understands what we're going through. And all of that is communicating one thing. It's communicating how much He loves us. It's communicating that, you know, He didn't just stay up there. He he came down to our level. And, And when we go through tough stuff, when we go through difficult years and difficult circumstances, we're not talking to someone who doesn't know what that's like. We're not we're not praying to a God who doesn't care about or doesn't can't identify with what we're saying and the pain that we're feeling. In Hebrews four it says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but he was in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in our times of need. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize, who cannot cry with us, who, who you know, we've got a high priest who knows what you, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through this year. He knows all of that. And the invitation is this. I know how tough it is. Come to my throne of grace and I will give you help in your time of need. You know, I remember growing up and um, and and I used to play rugby at school. And when I was in junior school, we used to play against different teams. And, and there was this one time where we had a match scheduled and we were in the changing room and we were getting changed and suited up and putting our boots and jerseys on and we're, we're all ready we look so smart in our nice clean stuff <laughs> and our coach came into the room and he said boys I want you to take your boots and your socks off and we're like why? why would we take our boots and our socks off? and he says don't worry about it I want you to take your boots and socks off today we're playing barefoot and we were all like confused but we were all like dressed and smart and got our socks so we had to all take our, our boots off we all had to take, all take our socks off and then we went out to the field and we were thinking, this is like awkward, this is weird. Why are we, you know, we could feel the mud squishing under our feet and, and it was just different and strange. And, and then when the other team arrived on the field, we knew why. Because when they arrived, we were playing a development school where they didn't have boots and they didn't have, they, they couldn't afford boots. They were, they were a school from a poor area and they all got out and they were all barefoot. And, and we were ready right there with our bare feet to, to welcome them and, and then take them on the field and beat them. But, <laughs> but, um, but you know, that stuck in my mind that, that thing that my coach did was he didn't want us walking out on that field with, with our nice snazzy boots and, you know, looking all strong. And then those kids arrive and, and they don't have boots and they have that moment of feeling like they're less than or, or that they're, or, or be intimidated in some way. But the, the playing field was, it was evened. It was evened out by that gesture, by that thing that our coach did. And it really stuck in my mind. And, and that's what Jesus did. He, he left his divinity. He took off his boots. <laughs> he took off his, 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 his rights and his privileges so that he could come to our level and fully identify with us. So that's the first reason I believe. Um, there's so much humility in the story of Jesus. The second reason for this extreme humble package is that the story of Jesus and his humility towards us actually humbles us as well. Because what we see in scripture is there's this pattern where God continuously chooses the lowborn. He, con- 
continuously chooses the insignificant, the powerless, the, the weak, the things that are discarded by the world. You know, this world is all about fashion and, and brands and power and, I mean, think about what's on our news. It's all about famous people, powerful people, you know. But this world has a way of discarding so many people, discarding stuff, you know, lives and places. And and God deliberately goes to what we discard, the, the people we discount. I mean, think about Israel. They were a slave nation, like a nothing nation, just in bondage in Egypt. And he chose them as as the nation that he would use to reveal Messiah to us. Um, think about Gideon in a wine press, the least of his family, the least of his tribe, the, the hiding out fearful. He chooses Gideon and makes Gideon into a mighty man of valor. He does this through with David as well. When David is is when when the, the prophet Samuel arrives at Jesse's house looking to anoint the next king, David's not even in the line. He goes through all I think it was eight brothers that he had. All eight brothers, like and then it wasn't any of them. And he was like, isn't there not someone else? And they said, yeah, with the youngest born, but he's out with the sheep. <laughs> like, he was so discounted by his family. They, they didn't think that he could possibly be the one that the, the prophet wanted to anoint. And, and yet he was. He was the lowest born in his family. And so we see this. He chooses Bethlehem. He chooses Nazareth. He chooses David. He chooses Gideon. He chooses the weak things in this world. And 1 Corinthians tells us why he does it. He does it so that no flesh, it says in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that no flesh can glory in his presence. (laughs) So God deliberately chooses what is weak, lowborn, looked over, or insignificant, so and he uses those things for such huge significance, um, for such huge influence for his kingdom. And really, when we see that, that humbles us. That really humbles us. That God takes such such little things and does such incredible things with them. It really humbles us because, I mean, if you were going to save the world, or if I was going to save the world, we would not do it like this. We would not have a baby in a manger in in, in Bethlehem was raised by two teenage parents, you know. I mean, we that's not how we would save the world. Yet he takes those lowly things and he uses them so powerfully, so miraculously that it humbles us. It makes us, you know, there's a scripture that says the weak thing in God is stronger than men. And the, and the foolish thing in God is wiser than men. And this Christmas story shows that. It shows that you know, for all the strength we have, for all the knowledge we have, God is way beyond us. He is so far ahead of us. He, he, he knows so better. He knows so much more than us. And, and so it humbles us. The story, it's, his humility is meant to humble us. It's meant to make us realize that, hey, hang on. Maybe, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe, maybe I'm trusting in, in things that I shouldn't be trusting in. And maybe I should actually humble myself and follow this king and follow his word and, and believe that he knows better for my life, that believe that he's got a better plan for my life, that he's got a better way of working things out than I do. That's what we learn from this Christmas story. And then finally, the third point, and I'll finish with this one, is that this story is there to encourage us as well. It's uh, this, this story teaches us that God can take 
the little that we have, the the very little, the low-born things that we have, and use them so powerfully. I mean, think about how he took Moses' staff and he used that as a as a powerful weapon to part the ocean and to, you know, um, call down hails on, on Egypt. And he just t- he takes the little that we have. And he uses it so powerfully. And so if you feel like you're insignificant, if you feel like you don't have enough for what next year beholds, or you don't, you don't feel like you've got enough money or influence or ability or maybe education or anything like that, this gospel story encourages us. It's meant to help us realize that we should never discount our five loaves and two fish. We should never discount the gift that we have or or the life that we God has given to us because God can take the little that we have and He can do something miraculous with it when we put it in His hands. And so this is what we learn from the Christmas story. We see that this story is there because God wants to identify with us. It's there to humble us. And it's there to encourage us that he can do so much with such a little. Well, that's some real food for thought this Christmas morning. And one thing that really stands out to me is when when you look at the Christmas story and the conditions in which Jesus was born and the whole setup, it looks really risky. It looks pretty dangerous. It looks... um, doesn't look like a very well thought out plan. It looks a bit chaotic. And, um, and maybe you're looking at your situations, your what your years been like, even maybe just your whole upbringing and life in general. Maybe it just seems a little bit chaotic, a little bit um, uncertain, not sure how it's all going to work out. But if we look in hindsight at the Christmas story, we can see that there was a divine hand in the midst of all of it. There was warnings that came at the right times. There was encouragement. There was divine assistance. There was strengthening. There was camaraderie. There was a whole lot of stuff that just showed that there was a divine hand at work. And I wanted to clear that over you as well. There is a divine hand at work in your life. If you are in Christ, you belong to God. You are His, and He has got your back. He understands everything that you are processing and going through, and He's with you. He's with you in such a deep and and, and real way. He gets it. He gets the situations, and He cares. And not only that, He is strong. And he has empowered you to overcome. So everything that you look at, remember that there is a divine hand at work in your life. And even the hard things, he will turn to your good. Even the pain, he will turn it to your good. And he'll give you opportunity to testify about those things in time to come. So as you go through Christmas today, I want you to know that we're releasing a blessing over you blessing and the covering of God that he's ordained us to release over you and we're going to pray right now so Father in the name of Jesus we just lift up your shield of protection over every single person who's watching or listening to this we thank you that you care for each one, you know every hair on their heads, you know the circumstances they find themselves in, you know exactly what they're going through and you know what they're feeling and so Father we just thank you that they will understand how deep and wide and high and incredible your love is for them, that you've invited them into a covenant and they belong to you. 
you know, you care, you're with them, and you're empowered by your Holy Spirit to be strengthened at all times. We should release this blessing over your people in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.enderban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.